0: This morning we're looking again in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're focusing on three verses this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And again, we're looking at the issue that Paul addresses at the church in Corinth. A critical church issue, and in this case, a flagrant sin that's going on in the midst of the congregation. And he takes a rather unapologetic, uncompromising stand regarding this particular sin, the sin of incest that's taking place. And his remedy to the solution here is, and he calls for the church to act in this way, is excommunication of this member from the midst of the church. Again, what's the basis for such serious action? Is this Isn't this something that the, we look at in many churches, even in many places outside the church, they look and say, well, this is rather unloving. I mean, is this what the church is like, or is this not an example of Uh, As we mentioned last week of the church shooting their own wounded, is that the case at all? Of course, it is not. Let's look this morning at, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And for the sake of context, we'll read through uh, this entire chapter again this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. In other words, even the Gentile world, the pagan world, would look upon this nature of sin and be repulsed by it. There was no general acceptance of such sin. And the sin is that someone has his father's wife. Again, perhaps a stepmother, perhaps a blood mother. And you've become arrogant. And you've not mourned instead. In order that the one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. And in the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast not with old leaven nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter, do not associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. I remember reading the paper some months ago about it. There was a, a man who was hospitalized. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the game called Chicken. You know, you have two people in automobiles; they're running straight at each other, and I did one of them is, backs out before they connect, and so he's the chicken. Of course, sometimes these people—nobody's a chicken—they collide in all sorts of calamity. This had a, something of a unique spin on it: the man who was hospitalized for playing chicken, he was on foot, competing against a man in an automobile. So, chicken may not be the best word here. <laughs> Something of a unique spin there, but you know, people play some of the strangest games, do they not? The games people will play, and we see here in our text the games that churches and Christians will often play. Because tolerated sin in the church is a serious matter, and that was something that this church at Corinth... Had begun to play this game with sin. It was something of a... They, as we considered last week, they had deemed themselves to have attained such a level of spirituality that they were concerned about spiritual things. And so things of the bodies, things of this type of relationship, just were not an issue to them. They were more spiritually minded than that. So rather than being something that they were ashamed of and addressing and mourning about, in verse 2 it says, "...you've become arrogant." Something that they took some degree of pride in rather than addressing the sin. We must address it with the urgency and with the severity that's necessary. Why is sin in the church such a serious matter? And why do we, looking at Paul's text today, why does Paul, what reasons does he give to the church at Corinth and for us today? But why sin is to be dealt with in such a serious way, in such a severe manner? Well, the reason is this. First of all, there's the pervasive influence of sin. The pervasive influence of sin. Verse number six. You're boasting. Can you imagine? This is a church that they've they found a way to boast in such a sin as this. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? So you have here the picture, the pervasive influence of sin. Paul employs this figurative language and this imagery that's given of, of leaven or yeast. And he gives it to them in the context of a rhetorical question. Don't you know this? It's a question that they would also... Yeah, we know that. When how leaven works? When how yeast works? You take this small amount of leaven and it has this permeating effect upon a larger lump of dough. It just spreads. That's the inherent nature of leaven. And in Scripture we find that leaven is comparable many times to evil. It's compared to the nature of sin often used in Scripture being symbolic of evil. And Exodus chapter twelve will not turn there. There the context of the Passover. In the context of the Passover, what was required of the children of Israel? What was the first thing they did in preparation for the Passover? It was the removal of all the leaven from their house. That's the first thing they did to prepare for the coming Passover. And then in Matthew chapter sixteen, verses six and following. Let's turn there real quickly. Matthew chapter sixteen. Jesus here speaks of leaven. Matthew chapter 16, verses 6 and following, Jesus says to His disciples, let's back up to verse 5, His disciples came to the other side and they would forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out, or beware. Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, what is that? Well, the disciples figured it out. They began to discuss among themselves, saying it's because we didn't bring any bread. So Jesus is talking about leaven here because we didn't bring any bread. But Jesus was aware of this, and he said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand, how many baskets you took up, or the seven loaves of the four thousand, how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then in verse 12, Matthew explains it. Then they understood. He did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but beware of the teaching. Beware of the teaching. The teaching of hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The teaching of false doctrine of modern day liberalism for the Sadducees. To beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why? Because there's the leavening effect of such false teaching. It permeates. It spreads. You beware of that. So Jesus says, you beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And here, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we find in verse 8 where it's described, Therefore, do not celebrate the feast, celebrate the feast not with old leaven, but with the, nor with the leaven of what? Nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness here. So here Paul's using this term, this picture here. For them to understand this leaven of malice or badness, which is inferior, or wickedness. It says that we are not to celebrate the feast or we are not to live the Christian life in this manner. We are to be those who are free from the influence of sin. We remove the leaven. We remove the sin from us. You know, the nature of, of leaven is this. It is never stagnant. It doesn't stop. It's always moving. It's permeating. It's spreading its influence bit by bit in this lump of dough, a small bit of leaven, and it goes through the whole lump until portion by portion all is affected. You see, sin works the same way, doesn't it? Sin works steadily to spread and contaminate all that surrounds. We know this is true in our own individual hearts, don't we? Let an area of sin begin to get a foothold in your own heart in your own life and what happens it's not, it's not long before you find another area that you've become compromised in and, no, and something else you give into it's just the nature of sin as we say as we say yes to sin it takes and then it takes more and more it's true in our own hearts but it's also true in the context of the community of god's people it is isn't it easy to drop your guard when you feel like that you're the only, the only one in the church who cares? who's concerned about it, maybe a particular issue. Isn't it easy to drop your guard, for example, in in the use of your tongue when someone else loosens their tongue? Begin to to spread a, an evil report regarding someone. Something that, you know, we wouldn't classify as gossip, but, you know, it's a prayer request. And so it goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Let me give you all the details, the gory details. I understand there's a place for some of that. But what do we find? We find that it's true that when when we're in the context of people who are sinning, it's easy. It's easy. It becomes contagious. Such is the nature of sin. <clears throat> Excuse me. Back some years ago, Beth had a... Uh, are, you, are you familiar with this thing called a friendship cake? This friendship cake. You take this thing and you have to get a starter from somebody else and you leave it out on your counter. I'm always a little bit leery about something you put out... And you have to feed it. I mean, you have to feed this thing every so often. And you take, and it's a starter for another cake, and you put more stuff into it a little bit of time. What's happening there? The 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 effect of what's already there, which is, for all practical purposes, it's a deterioration. It <laughs> you know, it's like blue cheese, you know. Who eats that stuff? It's got mold in it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know, I know. You know, and she has this thing, it's, it's called a starter, but what happens is you take and you, and you feed stuff that's not been affected by it. You put it into the mix and you stir it in and you let it sit there. And what happens? It just becomes all, all it you know, spreads, whatever's in that starter. <laughs> it spreads. It's, it sounds scary to me. I don't want to go into my kitchen and find something on my counter that I'm feeding. But we've, <laughs> we've had that. But there's the influence of, of fermentation taking place within that little dough, that little wad there? So we have the <clears throat> excuse me. We have the responsibility within the church as God's people, the place where sin is lovingly challenged, where repentance and restoration is always sought. See, the world has something of a sentimental tolerance of everything. You know, well, I just bear with this. But it's not so for the church, church of God, because the church is has a truth to defend. The the church has godliness to model. So it's not anything goes and hope that eventually this will take care of itself. We are at times to address the sin. Of course, sin in the nature of, as was being practiced here at Corinth, one that Paul addresses very severely it's time that this individual and I call upon you and the church on the church again speaking in verse 4 in the name of our Lord Jesus and I speak to you with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ how much clearer can you get this is the will of Christ for your church for his church that you deal with this sin I'm not speaking on my own behalf I'm speaking in the name of and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ Lord of his church deal with This sin. And again, a question to ask, like, well, who am I to judge? What's the answer? Corporately, we are the body of Jesus Christ, acting with the authority of Jesus Christ, consistent with Christ, for the glory of Christ. That's who we are. And again, the question that we ought to be asking instead of who am I to judge is who are we to be so arrogant to think that we've got a better way to do it? Christ has established his order. For his church. So there's the per- pervasive influence of sin. That's one reason that sin must be dealt with severely, quickly. Don't let this thing spread. It's not going to stand still. It's going to move. It's going to spread on. One of the things I was encouraged by when I was in Bible school in Greenville, South Carolina, there was just a real sense of, of community there in this school of about 70 students. And there was such a, a sense of community and a sense of and a, a hungry for the things of God and a desire for the Spirit of God to move in our midst, there was a sense of, I didn't want to be the one to prevent that. I don't want my sin to be the cause of, be the reason that God's not free to move in our midst. And so there was a real sense of a consciousness of sin, sometimes I think even unhealthy. But there would be times that I would go home and I'd be driving back from Gallatin back to Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm thinking of, Oh, how horrendous I'd been. I hadn't had a regular quiet time. I hadn't walked with the Lord those days I'd been home. And I'm coming back to Greenland and God's not going to move. But there was a real there was a real sense in my own heart of, I've sinned. And an obligation to the community. And that's a school. And if, and if there's any place that we recognize, there ought to be a sense of obligation to the community. It's, it's the context of God's church. I don't want to be the reason, and I say that as a pastor with the double duty and responsibility placed by me. I don't want to be the reason that God is not blessing and God is not working through the ministry at Cornerstone because I am not dealing with sin. I take that call very seriously. But likewise, you as a part of this body, you need to take that call very seriously. Am I walking with God? Am I pursuing after Him? Am I wrestling with sin? Am I fighting against sin? You say, I'm fighting with sin every day. Well, keep it up. Don't quit. We keep fighting because if we give in, it will not stand still. It will always be permeating to other places. So we must deal with sin. The pervasive influence permeates from one place to another of sin. second reason Paul gives sin must be dealt with in a serious matter is the practical implication of salvation. The practical implication of salvation. Verse 7. Clean out the old leaven that you may be... Listen to this, what he says. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. It sounds like you do this so that you'll be do this. But then he says this. Just as you are, in fact, unleavened. Clean out the old leaven so that you can be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. He's saying there, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with this sin because of what is true of you as the people of God. His second appeal is to the fact that there are those who claim to be believers in Christ. Hence, hence, if you are a child of God, You are already unleavened. You are already holy by the imputed righteousness of Christ given to you. So, the implication is those who are recipients of divine grace, who have been regenerated by the work of the Holy Spirit, you are a new creation. You are united with Christ. You are called and empowered to live as a life of resistance against sin, not to harbor it, not to excuse it, not to tolerate it. Because you have the power of Christ within you. You are a holy people. We're called to live holy lives. Leviticus 11:45, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Matthew 5:48, you are to be perfect. Just as your heavenly Father is perfect. First Peter 1, 15 and 16. Like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. It is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. First Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are this. You are holy. So God's people... You're called to holiness. And for the church at Corinth to be a haven for sin is to live as natural men. is to live as those who are still under the control and influence of the old man. And Paul's exhortation is, in verse 7, is clean it out. So that you may demonstrate or you may prove that you are in fact a new lump. Which he says, just in fact you are. It's kind of like live according to what you are. Be what you are. That's what he's saying. So he says, you clean out this old leaven, you deal with sin so that you can be a new lump because you are a new lump. Live like new people because you are new people. Live like holy people because you are holy people. Live like people who have no place for sin because you have no place for sin. That's what he's saying. There's the practical implications just quite simply of what Christian salvation is about. A person who has been born again by the Spirit of God. Sin is removed. Live as though it's so. Live as though that it's so. That you are, in fact, a new lump. Clean out the old leaven, he says in verse 7. So that you might be, you might demonstrate yourself to be a new lump. Just as you, in fact, are unleavened. So, second reason he gives there, the practical implications of salvation. Number three. The third reason he gives to the the saints there and also for us to deal with sin within the context of the church as it must be dealt with is the primary intent of Christ's sacrifice. The primary intent of Christ's sacrifice. Look at the last part of verse 7. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Sacrificed, Paul has taken this idea of leaven, which he's already begun here in in verse six. This imagery of leaven, and he takes this imagery of leaven to a point of common usage in Jewish thinking, which is the Passover. That's an unusual; they would they would be aware that there was the leaven was dealt with in the context of the on the Passover. What's the center stage event in the Passover? The center stage event in the Passover feast, as it was observed by the families, was the sacrifice of the lamb. The sacrifice of the lamb for a family. That's center stage. But there was a strict timeline to be followed in the Passover. Again, we talked about just a moment ago, but the timeline was this. There was, first of all, the removal of the leaven. That was the obligation of the family. First, you go through, you remove all leaven from the home then the lamb was slain the passover lamb was eaten and then that was the initiating the passover feast of 7 days now we understand that timeline it would have been absolutely unthinkable absolutely unthinkable to begin the feast if leaven were still present in the house it just wouldn't happen Unthinkable! You do not do this. And for the lamb to be slain meant that there was nothing within the home that bore the influence of the leaven. And here, leaven being given as a picture of decay and of deterioration, it was removed as a symbol of a new beginning. We're starting afresh. So all that which had was old, and it was decay, deterioration. It's removed, and God's wrath was averted by the shedding of the blood. Passover, event, the Lamb, the death angel passed over. Why? Because of the shedding of the blood. The God's wrath was averted. So you have here this strict timeline that you have the removal of the leaven, then the Lamb being slain here. So you have the Old Testament Jews who were in a dispensation of shadows and types very strictly observing leaven is removed the lamb is is sacrificed, the lamb is killed for the family. How much more? In the New Testament time, when we live in the age of the reality, which is Christ himself, so what's Paul saying here? He says, For Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. He's saying this the un the the leaven, the leavening effect has already been removed. Consider your place in the history of God's redemptive plan as partakers of the reality of the fulfillment. The old has passed away, the new has come. So the New Testament is the age of the reality of Christ dying for our sin, pictured by the Lamb, making the payment so that our sin shall never be held against us judicially. We understand that. Judicially, I will never stand condemned for my sins before God as a righteous judge. But it also means more than that. It also means that we have been liberated from the sphere of sin's dominion and control. Hence the remove 11. So you have two pictures here. The lamb is sacrificed, yes. But it's also saying the lamb is sacrificed... For Christ, our Passover has also been sacrificed. What's he saying this? This means that all this other stuff has been dealt with. Sin has been removed. The leavening effect of sin has been taken care of because Christ has been sacrificed as our Passover. So we are liberated from the sin from the sphere of sin's dominion and control. It doesn't have the control, it doesn't have the influence over us that it once had because of the death of Christ. You see that through the book of Romans, Romans 6 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Folks? Christ has been sacrificed. The Passover. The leaven's been removed. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We who know no longer are slaves to sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 7. He who has died is freed from sin. Verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. Verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Verse 18, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The price has been paid. Divine justice has been satisfied. Yes, but the more of the Christian experience is this. The power of sin has been broken. And the power to live a God-honoring a God-pleasing life is ours in Christ. Sin's influence is limited. The power has been broken, so we don't have to look at sin in our lives. You don't have to look at sin when they contact the church and say, well, it's just part of our human experience here. No. No. You don't look at a person who's, who's... Who's in such a, a state of sin as we see her in Corinth? And say, well, you know, that's just his his weakness, and maybe, you know, in this glorified experience, he'll be beyond that. No, you deal with it. You address the sin now because the power of Christ is in us. He has dealt with the influence of the leavening power of sin. It's no longer our master. That's what he's saying there when he says that. Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. The leaven's been removed. That's first. The lamb has been sacrificed. That's the payment for sin. The leaven's been removed. The influence, the power is removed. The payment made by the sacrifice. So Paul gives us sound reason here that we can that we must deal with sin such a matter because we can look at sin and say there is no reason that we have to be enslaved and no reason we look to our brother or a or sister in Christ there's no reason to say this person cannot help but be enslaved to this sin oh yes he can yes he can because the Passover lamb Christ has been sacrificed and the, that means if the sacrifice has come that means that the leaven has been removed we see the timeline but the reality takes place with both so paul's conclusion is because Christ our passover has been sacrificed again just he ties this into the old testament imagery of the passover there because Christ has been sacrificed verse 8 let us therefore celebrate the feast what feast well in the old testament it was the, the passover feast for 7 days you're ready to celebrate this thing now so Paul's application of that to us is, therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not a seven-day feast, but a lifetime of feast. We celebrate the We celebrate the feast or we experience the Christian life or we live a life that is marked by, as he says here, sincerity and truth. So we celebrate. That's what the Christian experience is today. What our experience is every day, we're celebrating the feast, figuratively speaking. We're celebrating freedom from sin. We're celebrating deliverance from sin, the price paid by Christ, but also the power of sin broken. We celebrate that today and tomorrow and every day to live our lives in a spirit of, of celebration, not in a spirit of slavery to sin. Not with the old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's where Christ has brought us to. Sin is no friend to the Christian, nor to the church. And sin's pervasive nature, its pervasive influence, demands, demands that the church Acts. But salvation's practical implications expect that the church would act because we would expect us to live as we ought to live. But Christ's sacrifice, primary intent, it empowers the church to act. Sin's influence demands that we act, salvation's implications expect that we act. Christ's sacrifice empowers us to act. That's why we we deal with sin as we do. Because it's always spreading. Because Christian salvation tells us that we are in fact new. We're not as we once were. And that Christ's sacrifice Christ being sacrificed as a payment for our sin, but also to show that we had the power of sin. The power of sin has been broken. We're not in, we don't have the influence of this old leaven as we once did. It's the new life, the new leaven of sincerity and a truth of truth. And God give us grace to, to live as Paul exhorts the saints in Corinth and likewise to us today as his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a a wonderful truth you've given to us in your Son. Lord, forgive us the times that we've, we've dealt lightly with sin in our own hearts. And even with sin in our brothers and sisters when it was something that ought to have been addressed. And Lord, we don't want to go around just looking and turning every stone, but simply to walk in the, the Spirit of Christ, to recognize that there are matters that are to be addressed, and have the freedom to do so. Lord, help us. I thank you for this church, and as we consider the the implications for us, the application in day-to-day life, we thank you that we are a, in a situation that there's not a need to address this in the life of an individual here, but Lord, we We ask that it would never be so, but the reality is it's very likely that one day it will be necessary. Help us to be faithful to Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.